0: Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, verse 19. Years ago, there was a preacher named Tony Campolo who did this series on Good Friday, and he talked about the hope of resurrection that the Christian community experiences on Good Friday. And he titled his message, It's Friday, Anybody know what's next? But Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And the idea was um, yeah, though we experience defeat, uh, the Christian community perhaps could even see Good Friday as, as the def- defeat of our Messiah. Um, it's okay because Sunday, uh, he wins. And I've always thought it'd be cool for Campolo to do like another one, um, which is it's Sunday. But Monday's coming. Because, I, I don't know about you, but Monday can be like hard. Monday is when we face the reality of of life. Monday's when we have to turn in the assignment. And so it's the Sunday night scramble. Monday is when we have to go back to work. Monday is, is when we have to go into a place where there's some discomfort and where we really don't... Does anybody ever on Sunday night feel like this sense of like, here we go again. Anybody have this? Okay, I'm, I'm not the only one. All right, good. Um, so you know what I'm talking about. It's Sunday, but Monday's coming. Um, the famous line from the great film, Office Space, looks like somebody has got a case of the Mondays. It uh, can be true of us. <laughs> that was for Kevin. Um, So John 20, verse 19, we see the disciples have a case of the Mondays. Uh, They've watched Jesus crucified. They've heard of his resurrection, but maybe not experienced the power of it yet. Not experienced the presence of Jesus yet. And so 20, verse 19, resurrection, part two, no more hiding. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, "Peace be with you." As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, He breathed on them and said, "Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven." I want to talk a little bit about fear this morning. And where fear often directs us. Let me first say this. I grew up in a family where we loved to scare each other. Uh, We loved to make each other, in a sense, fearful. Hiding behind doors, uh, at the bottom of stairs. Uh, Anybody a part of a a family like this where you just hide and scare each other? Yeah. Um, My (laughs) brother... This is my turn, okay? (laughs) You get your turn every week. (laughs) Sometimes even co-workers, right? Um, My brother, maybe I shouldn't say it, but since it is televised, sorry, Kev, I got to just share this, but my brother was scared of E.T., and I loved to mess with him, Uh, would lay in bed and call out to his room, E.T., phone home. And I could hear the panic, and it would escalate. Uh, Mom, E.T., phone home. Nick, stop it. Nick, stop it. Mom, E.T., phone home. If you haven't seen the movie E.T., it is good, but not if you're younger than 12, because he is kind of scary. Um, When I was in college, my friends thought it would be funny to uh, wake me up with firecrackers like you do at one in the morning when somebody's sleeping. And so they put these firecrackers in like a coffee can tin, like a tin thing. This was pre-bag, and coffee would come in a tin can. And they put these firecrackers in there. Uh, I'm sound asleep. And it's a time in my life where I'm carrying a lot of like anxiety and fear about the future, pre-wedding, pre-having a job, pre-graduating from college, no idea if any of that is going to work out or what's going to happen. And so I'm just like kind of tense always. And I'm laying in bed and they think it would be really funny to light the firecrackers and have my little Canadian friend with a mask of something terrifying jump on me while I'm sleeping. And so it's a great story now, but for 20 minutes I was shaking in bed um, as he jumped on me and I... Flipped around and grabbed him by the throat and said, Who are you? (laughs) I don't know why I said that to this day. Because when you get scared, you just do things, right? Um, I I wouldn't recommend for those of you with mother-in-laws, mother's-in-law, I wouldn't recommend scaring them. Uh, It's not a good relationship-building activity. And I thought it was. I thought it would be fun. But it, it took some time to heal from that one. So So there's kind of like this this thing that's fun about being afraid, right? Is anybody like horror movies and you're willing to admit it in church? A lot of kids love horror movies. I can't I can't watch them. I get so scared. Like, I don't even, I'd turn the lights and, like, sprint down my hall to my room. I can't watch that stuff. It's just too scary for me. But some people really enjoy, like, being afraid, right? They like that sense of, like, maybe there is something under my bed. I don't know. I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all. Um, But some people are weird and enjoy that kind of stuff, Ray. And so there is this fear that's kind of fun, Right? And then there's this fear that sort of seeps in, and it's not as fun. It's more nebulous. It's harder to name. It's kind of like air that just sort of permeates, and we don't even really see it. We, we don't really even know That we're afraid, it all of a sudden just becomes a part of us. It can be a fear that dictates our action. And what I want to submit this morning is that for those called to live the resurrection life of Jesus, that kind of fear has been conquered. That for those who have been called by God, that kind of fear needn't be a part of our decision-making nor of our faith. And so a few points just about the disciples and their uh, action here. Notice where they are. They're together. This is good. The disciples are together Yay, disciples. Okay, Jesus told them to get together. They're together, and this is a good thing. Uh, But they're together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. The disciples are hiding. They're hiding from the religious people who killed the Messiah. They're hiding from the people who they do life with. They're hiding with people who I think They probably know pretty well. And we're not told why they're hiding, which is the nature of like most fear-induced activity. It's, again, kind of hard to nail down. We don't really know why they're afraid of the Jews, but we can guess. Maybe they're afraid because they're concerned about their own life. We just watched them kill Jesus the Messiah, maybe they're going to go after his followers and kill them too. So maybe it's a fear uh, of death. Maybe it's a fear of being kind of cut out from the community, the religious community that they're a part of. They're afraid of of sort of the social stigma that might come with being a follower of this uh, Nazareth peasant. They're, they're afraid of being cut out of, of their friendships. Maybe they're afraid of, of losing out economically because they walked with Jesus for a really long time and, and he didn't do what they thought he was going to do. And so now they're afraid that because they did that, they made some bad decisions back then and they're going to be sort of the, the ridicule and they're going to be uh, cut out of that community. Um, nobody's going to want to deal with them financially. They're not going to want to buy their fish or like help have them mend their nets or they ain't going to call Levi to do their taxes because he was with Jesus and we all saw what happened there. And so maybe it's the fear of just that ridicule. It's the shame of having thrown their lot in with Jesus and and watched it fail. We're not really told why they're afraid of the Jews. It doesn't say they're afraid of the Jews because of this or that. And I think that is the nature of those things that we fear. We're afraid, and sometimes we're not even sure why. In their fear, they hide. They do what we've done since the beginning. Adam. The first man walks with God, has this amazing uh, opportunity to exercise obedience and, and to have relationship with the Creator, and Adam blows it, and instead of owning up, Adam does what? He goes and hides. because the scripture says, he's afraid. It's nothing new. We all hide in our own way. We all hide and and lock the door in different ways. Some of us lock it up by just playing the game that everything is cool. It's all good. I work with students. I see this all the time. There's questions about whether we can trust the person who's asking me how I'm doing. And so I'm cool. I'm all good. I'm on lockdown I locked the door. You can't come in. We do that all the time. Sometimes we hide by just avoiding. I just don't want to deal with this. I just avoid it. I'm not going to engage. Sometimes we hide, uh, we hide behind other things. We hide behind certain activity. We hide behind a certain passions of ours. We sense God calling us in a certain direction, but we weigh it and it's just too risky. It's just too out there. And so we hide behind things that we're good at. We hide behind our strengths. Here is where I get praise. Here is where I'm called. And so we hide, even though this, like, there's this nudge and this invitation of God. We all hide in different ways. And, and I think it's the result of, of that fear that we have. We hide out of fear. Now somebody in the first service wisely pointed out that there is some fear that's, that seems good and we even see fear in Jesus, right? Uh, so good fear. Good fear. A dinosaur, T-Rex, shows up to your driveway and um, seems angry and like he wants to eat you. Um, you should probably be afraid. <laughs> one of, thanks, Big Bird. Um, one of our youth leaders is deathly afraid of polar bears, and says polar bears are super duper smart. Uh, have you ever seen them cover their nose when they hunt because their nose is the only thing that's black, and so. Everything else that's white blends in with their surroundings. So he says, dude, they're smart. Polar bears are smart. If you ever see one, turn and run. Like, maybe that's a healthy fear, right? It's not. It's really not. <laughs> there are people who are scared of things that maybe maybe are like legitimate. They have legitimate fears, we might say. And we might even say... Um, that that is uh, reflective of maturity. They're discerning. They understand risk, and so they go a different direction. They understand danger, and so they go a different direction. This person wisely noted in the first service that even Jesus was scared. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, And he asked God to please take this cup from him. The picture is of him praying and sweating, and the scripture says that he even sweated blood. Like he's in agony and fear. And the beauty of it to me is that, yeah, Jesus is afraid, and yet his fear doesn't dictate his action. His fear ultimately doesn't dictate his obedience. His fear doesn't dictate what he does next. Fear can suffocate faith. In the case of the disciples, they're huddled up behind a door that they have locked. Nobody locked them in there. The disciples gather together behind a door that they shut. In fear. And I think we do this. We shut ourselves in. We lock the door. We hide behind things that we already mentioned. We do this quite often. I notice it in my life a lot. Sometimes I even mask these things with like holy passion. But if I'm honest, it's probably fear. I'm afraid of losing something. And so I can run and I can hide. The interesting thing about fear is that it's often born out of a lie. The lie, for example, that safety is greater than obedience or faithfulness. The idea that being safe is more important than doing what God has called me or going where He has called me. It's born out of the lie that death can equal defeat. That dying in whatever way, physically, or dying spiritually, or dying socially, whatever that death looks like, that that somehow equals defeat. It's born of the lie that that victory uh, comes out of my strength, out of my capacity to do something awesome, to be excellent. And all of those are not true. In the text, we learn that Jesus says, I carried my cross to my death. I was faithful until the end. If you're going to want to be my disciples, you're going to have to pick up your own cross and carry it and and follow me. And That's what obedience will look like. It won't be safe. It won't be secure. It won't be comfortable. It's going to stretch you. We learn that death isn't the end. It's the beginning for life in Christ. We learn that strength, uh, victory doesn't come through strength, uh, but it comes through weakness. And it's in our weakness that we discover the reality that God is strong. Fear has at its root a lie. And so maybe this morning the question for you is like, what lie do I buy into about myself about my family? What lie do I believe about the Christian community? Let me share one that, that I have swallowed. There was a fear that I carried for a while, and I even shared it from here, um, about young people, that young people are leaving the church, and oh man, what, what are we gonna do as a community, and this is a terrible thing, and, and what was happening there for me uh, was I was reacting and responding out of fear the fear that that god wasn't big enough or good enough or or inviting enough or strong enough for the next generation i i at some point kind of swallowed the pill maybe based on what i was reading and studying and everything had like a graph and like a you know and then the graph makes you go like oh crap Because there's a graph. No, I'm afraid. There's a statistic, and we don't want statistics. We don't want those negative statistics. Ah. And then that fear can mask itself in passion and graphs and statistics. And it's not that those things are bad, the 5% chance of making it, the 95% chance of not. It's not that those aren't okay and helpful, it's just that they're not God. And the question can be at times lost God, where are you calling me in this process? Where are you calling me at this time? I know the numbers but where are you calling? I hear the crowd outside the door, but where are you calling? Notice four things that Jesus does and why they matter for you and me. One, he comes into the room. He does not unlock the door. You see it? He stands with them in their fear. He doesn't unlock it. He doesn't unlock it for them and walk through and say, hey, there it go. I think he doesn't do that. I don't know why, but partly because he wants to show off like the transfigured body thing. Be like, hmm, yeah, you guys are afraid. Jesus, it's you. Yeah, that's what I can do now because I came back is just walk into rooms like that and it's awesome. So maybe partly because of that, but maybe partly because he wants to give them the courage to unlock the door themselves. I don't know. I think maybe part of it is he just wants them to go unlock the thing. Once he gives them a little reality check. Reality check one, Jesus comes and says, peace, be with you. Shalom, amigos. Peace, be with you. Relax. I got it. Peace. First thing, he comes and speaks peace. This is good news for you and for me. Tonight, we're going to have some conversations down in the river house. Um, Peace. Let peace lead our conversation. Be at peace when your blood pressure starts to get hotter and hotter and higher and higher. Be at peace. God's going to win in the end, He wins in the end. Yeah, amen. 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 So be at peace. Second point. Jesus comes in flashing his wounds. Yeah, he comes in bling, 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 bling. That's what bling looks like in the kingdom. It's not a big old necklace. He doesn't come in waving like coin. He doesn't come in like that. He comes in, he's like bling, bling, it's me. He comes in flashing his wounds. I think this is huge. In the next portion of the text, when Thomas doubts him, he says, Thomas, take your hand and stick it in my wound. That's how you'll know it's me. He identifies himself by his brokenness. Why would you and I think that we can do anything less than that? <laughs> Why would we try to identify ourselves with our, our strengths, our greatness? Why would we front anything else? When Jesus comes flashing weakness, God flashes his wounds. He comes back and he says, hey, they insulted me, they mocked me, they tortured me, they beat me. God comes back flashing his wounds. Maybe you and I should lead with that kind of vulnerability in our lives in our relationships. Maybe we don't have to be afraid of covering them up. Maybe we don't have to hide somewhere with the door locked. Because God himself comes and says, see, it's me. I know. I know what you're going through. I get it. Hebrews says we don't have a high priest who's unable to relate with us. We got a God who gets it. But you don't understand, really? But you just don't, really? He walks into the room and says peace and identifies himself with his wounds. Number three, he reminds the disciples of their nature of being a sent people their sentness. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. As the Father, like the word that Langley read up here from Philippians 2, as the Father sent him as a servant into the world, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you into the world with the good news. And the good news is Jesus. The thing that Carla was pumping her fist, I wish you could have seen that on the video, because this fourth grader was pounding her fist like this. It was so awesome in the video, because she couldn't wait to share the love of Jesus with other people. Where did she get that, Leopoldo? De ti? Shaking her fist. Cecilia, maybe that's your thing she couldn't wait she knew she knows that because god has loved her she couldn't wait to share that and jesus reminds the disciples of their sentness i didn't call you he says to hide behind locked doors i didn't call you to go hole up somewhere in a bunker i didn't call you to just survive like on the movie wall-e The captain says, I don't want to just survive. I want to live. It's a great film. (laughs) Lastly, Jesus offers and reminds the disciples of the forgiveness that he's come to offer humanity and that they're called to offer to one another. This, to me, um, ties in most beautifully with one of our greatest fears. And that's the fear that somebody will dupe us and we won't get a chance for justice. Vengeance is about that seed of of wanting to make things right. And so we do things in retaliation because we're afraid that that person might not hurt like I've hurt. We're afraid That they're not going to experience what I've experienced because of what they did. And so our response can often be painful. We respond in ways that try to hurt someone because we just don't believe. We just don't fully trust that God in the end is going to deal accordingly. And so we're afraid. And in our fear, instead of offering forgiveness, instead of offering the gospel that God has offered, instead of giving the same pardon to them that he did to us, we hold on. We resent. Now, some of us are really good and smart about doing this. Um, we don't all do this in like mean middle school girl or guy ways we don't all do this by name calling we do it much more subtly we can hide behind certain opinions that really betray in the end that we just don't trust the disciples see jesus he comes and he stands among them and says peace and invites them into his wounds and reminds them of their sentness and the reality of their forgiveness and new standing with God. And we read that they are overjoyed. And this is what Jesus' presence does for us. This is why we come together as a community to worship. It's why we're going to spend a whole seven weeks on looking at a tabernacle. Is that what it is? Seven Because we want to learn what it's like, again, to stand in his presence. To experience the joy that comes as we acknowledge his resurrection. As we live in light of the resurrection that happened on Sunday, on Monday. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, you are more wonderful, uh, more excellent, more admirable than anyone ever. You're better. You're better than I I dare to believe. You invite us to lay down our lives in service of of your kingdom. And then you say that um, you're going to make all things new. Through us, You're going to reconcile, continue reconciling the world. The work that you started in your son at the resurrection will continue through, through us, your people, your church. That's, that's kind of overwhelming. The reality is for many of us, um, we have things that we're afraid of. We have a hard time believing that, that you could really do that through us. And so we just give ourselves to you. We give our our fear to you. We give the ways that we've been kind of cutting corners to you. We give the places that we've cheated you to you. We give uh, the doors that we've locked. We want to just kind of give you that key. Give us the courage. Give us the strength. Give us the, the boldness. Fill us with your love for Jesus' sake.